Well, maybe it's like Casey says. Phil ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Doc? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. I'll be there. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Well, me neither, Mom. Just something I've been thinking about. You're listening to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. From sports to gardening, from good food with close friends, to great music and movies. Provided by your hosts, Cody Stoffer, the reluctant Gen Xer, and Craig Morton, the token baby boomer. These guys are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but they will be entirely by accident. Here we are, heading towards Lent, Transfiguration, Sunday, Ash Wednesday, all that good stuff, and Craig is on the road again. On the road again. On the road again. That's trap. We, we might have to link to that. <clears throat> Craig, uh, traveling, traveling, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Why are you? traveling, man. I don't know, is that the trap? Boom. Craig on the road. Uh, this is this is Cody. Craig's on this the road. Craig. Craig is the one sounds like he's in a tin can. I am in a tin can uh, this time. Uh, maybe we should have a sponsor. Uh, I'm in a tin can. Uh, compliments of Enterprise Rental Cars. Ooh, Enterprise Rental Cars. I like it. So it's their, it's their tin can. So, uh, Craig, why are you on the road? I am. Not, well, it's. I'm on the road for a couple of reasons. One okay. is because it's it's work, but the reason I'm on the road instead of in the air is because I take along like a whole library because I'm going to be gone for a week and I don't have room. On airline package, on airline baggage limits to take everything that I normally take when I'm going on the road. So, so I need a car just to carry all my all my stuff. Oh my word! Why? Okay, so what is it? Why? What requires you to bring all that stuff? Well, just because I'm curious and I might have to think about something that I don't know and I might want to look it up. <laughs> but don't you have electronic devices for that kind of stuff? I, well, yeah, I mean, I've only got two. So I've got my phone and my laptop. But, you know, there might be something else that I just don't have on you know, digital right now. So. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it, it's like, like, like the book that I'm carrying along. Well, one of the books I'm carrying along right now. I just started reading it the other day, and it's something about God and improv. Ooh. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by it. It looks cool, but I had to bring it, even though it has nothing to do with the work that I'm doing. However, it just might. Oh, my gosh. So, 
And of course, I brought on the brought along the book Worthy um, yep. in case I can connect with uh, the author and see if we can get a, a interview recorded. Oh wow! Uh, Bach. Is, uh, I'll be in her neighborhood uh, over there in the uh, western side of Oregon. But so far today, I've had a really good day. I, I left Boise at about 8 a.m., a little bit after, and got myself to Baker City, where there's a, a congregation I'm working with there, and had a, had a wonderful meeting with somebody in the congregation, just kind of doing some kind of assessment, you know, figure out what's going on in the congregation, see if there's a way to be helpful. And just yeah. had an hour and a half sit down with him and, and uh, heard his story. And it's, it's really kind of cool. This guy had, you know, he's been married 60 years, was born and raised in, in Baker City. He was a, a physician who has you know, delivered people who are part of the church and just, you know, one of those pillar people in a community. And it was just wonderful to hear little bits of history and his perspective. So it was, it was kind of an enjoyable morning. Hmm. You must love your work. You must I, love your I work. I, there are elements of my work I love. Yes? Yes. But you're on the road a lot, too. Well, I'm on the road at least in a certain kind of rhythm of it, so I can kind of uh, accommodate myself to that. I would think if it was, hey, drop everything, you got to go on the road, you got to go make this trip, you know, it's important, urgent, whatever, uh, that can get really, really tiring. But fortunately for me, most of my trips are well planned in advance. They're on a certain rhythm or schedule. I think the hardest part is like last night I'm laying down in bed and I'm going, oh, I wish I didn't have to go all the way to Oregon to work, you know. I wish I could just stay home and have like a regular job. <laughs> but So you then, hate your job. But what I but then I thought, like, I mean, looking right now, I'm looking at the well, I'm looking at the road, but I'm also right beside me is this immense beautiful Columbia River and Ooh. and the mountains all around me are just pure white with snow and it's like this is very cool so so even when I begin to get a little like oh I don't know if I want to do this or that it's really not the work and when I begin thinking about the work and the things kind of the, the, the way to get to the work I mean this I have the best most beautiful commute I think out of anybody I know Oh, that's uh, perfect. I started a hashtag uh, a couple of years ago on Instagram, uh, Cascadia Commute. Oh, nice. And just taking pictures of my, my drive to work, you know, which is you know, going through, you know, the or going through the Oregon countryside, going through parts of Idaho, southern Idaho, um, parts of Washington. It's like, eh, it's not a bad job. Not bad at but all. I remember one time I had somebody come into my, my office when I was in my first passport. And he was talking to me about, you know, there's certain elements of the, the job that I was, of that pastoral job there at that congregation that I did not do well simply because I hated it. And it was stuff like, oh, uh, getting things ready for a newsletter or a bulletin. Yeah. Yes. That kind of clerical stuff. <laughs> and this fellow was, uh, he was, a uh, he was at a, uh, he had his master's in business, business administration. He was a, uh, an uh, independent consultant for business, but he was also a farmer, uh, a pig farmer. And and he his metaphor was, you know, everybody in every job, there's always you're going to have to clean out the barn. Nobody likes that, but you got to do it. And so that that kind of put some of those less 
pleasant aspects of a job and perspective. You know, that he loved raising pigs, but he hated cleaning. It's like there's certain things I love about my work, working with people, hearing local stories, right. uh, like uh, like a junior sociologist detective or something. Yeah. And um, but I really hate taxes, figuring out my keeping a spreadsheet of all my hours and expenses. Ugh, all that stuff. Submitting yes. receipts for reimbursements. Like, I just wish I was incredibly wealthy and nobody needed to pay me and I could just do this as a hobby anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, so that'd I, be love, perfect. I, I, I love my work, but there's elements of it that eh, I think probably okay. like anybody. It's like, fair. Yeah, somebody else would do that. <laughs> That's fair. <clears throat> I totally get it. Yeah. Like if you, for example, right now, you like the, the commute. I do. But, but um, if somebody else could drive while you're riding, that'd be amazing. That could be cool, too. Now, the <laughs> other part was if I, if I was on an Amtrak, if Amtrak would come back to Boise and I get to oh. stop on a train, I would love that. That'd be sweet. Uh, yeah, so there's elements to make the good job even better. Yep. I do what I can. Yeah, an Amtrak between uh, Portland and Boise would be just about right. I think it ran up until like 1995 or something like that. Really? There was one between uh, Boise and Portland? Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful train depot in Boise. Yeah, they, that's right. They, they spent a lot of money, I guess, fixing it up, making it look nice, updating it. And then like the next year or two, Amtrak said, oh, sorry, we're not going to go to Boise anymore. Oh! It's like, well, that's bad timing. Oh boy, it is. And I'll tell you what, that's a good segue into the text that we're going to be talking about. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because we're going to touch on the themes of Transfiguration Sunday and Ash Wednesday. Which is just like a locomotive going from Boise to Portland. I get it. it. (laughs) Let me explain. The (laughs) restoration of the depot right? You're, um, you're getting it all restored and um, it has work left to do and then all of a sudden it doesn't anymore. And so there's almost a sense of what was the point of all that? What was wow. the purpose? <laughs> what was the purpose, Craig, if it's not uh, going to be of the restoration project? So that also reminds me of the Marxist critique of uh, the industrial era. Yes. Uh, maybe we won't get into that right now. <laughs> okay. Well, here. So we'll begin with uh, a little touch, light touch on some transfiguration themes. Okay. So we got light transfiguration. Touch. Oh, I get it. A light get it? touch. <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah. You like that, huh? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Transfiguration season, is, or not season, Transfiguration Sunday is, I believe it's March 3rd. <laughs> Transfiguration so. season. The, the uh, uh, yeah, March 3rd, Sunday, March 3rd, and it's the Sunday right before Ash Wednesday. Craig, have you ever asked why, because it happens every year, why is Transfiguration Sunday the sort of transition between the season after Epiphany and into Lent. What? You know, I guess I've never really asked why, other than seeing it as a pivot in the gospel story. Sure. That goes from the Galilean ministry and then moves towards Jerusalem. That's right. But 
so if it's so the lent journey begins with jesus's wandering not wandering but he's in the wilderness it's the idea of in the wilderness for 40 days and that's actually at the beginning of his ministry correct but this moment transfiguration the text happens as you are saying right in the middle of his ministry as he's turning right. towards jerusalem so yeah yeah so why do we start? Why is that? I mean, if we're going back to the beginning, why pick this story that happens right in the middle? I think it's a, at least maybe a way of looking at that is it's a it's a it's a crucial flash. Uh, what do you call it? Flashback. Yeah. And because as he's moving towards Jerusalem, there are all these opportunities for him to fulfill other people's expectations. Right. You know, for him to come in, take over the town, take over Judah. You know, get rid of the Romans and just you know have that you know, set up his throne and and, and follow all that uh, all those expectations. Right. All the way back in the desert, I mean, he's he, he is faced with the opportunity to kind of be a superstar to satisfy everybody's hunger and then to, to rule the world. Yep. Same, the same temptations. That's right. That he, he goes into Jerusalem, so perhaps it's a flashback to that moment to say, hey, it's really important to think about these things yeah. moving into Jerusalem. Because, let's face it, you know, we agree in the humanity of Jesus. So it's not like, hey, he's conquered those temptations once, way back when in the desert. But he probably is carrying, you know, as every folk, as we all would do, carries these temptations with him all along the way, even in his ministry and journey. And here's a point where that can uh, rear its ugly head because, right, so now his disciples have seen his glory. Uh, you know, they uh, get this overwhelming sense of who he is. And so just the authority and power that he could wield, you know, as someone in the vein of, Moses and Elijah and Elisha, who God is saying, my beloved, and uh, again, coming back down off the mountain and all these people who are clamoring to be touched by him. And yeah. So the temptation's still there. It's still real. And Craig, I think you cut out, man. <laughs> I think it's possible you cut out, so I'll keep talking. Um, to fill up some of the space until you jump back in because I'm not hearing you and I'm not hearing the road chatter either. So hopefully, I don't know. Did your call drop? Okay. There, I think you're back uh, in. Yeah, I think you're back yeah, in. Really, yeah, I hate that. Sorry about that. That's okay. I filled up the space admirably. I would say. You did. You did. I'm sure you did. I'll trust whatever you said. Now I do have a question. Maybe yeah. you, maybe you took care of it in the, in that uh, moment while I was. Okay. In the Okay. Um, uh, in which story, which which gospel is it? Now you'll, I'll have to rely on your expertise because I'm I'm drawing blank. Okay. So in in, in the temptation, the mm -hmm. devil leaves, and then there's something about and we'll come back on a you know another moment or another more opportune moment. And he waits for a uh, yeah. That's right. Is that? That's not the Luke text, is it? Uh, I don't think so. I, I thought, well, okay, let me look. <laughs> I'm going to look yeah. it up now. Okay. The, the reason I think of that is just, you know, the idea that it, the temptation part is not a once and done kind of deal. It's, right. It, it 
can continually come on back. And that's I right. think that's at the heart. Last, last week we talked about uh, oh, uh, the last temptation of Christ. That's right. And, and I think that's that's that point is that, you know, okay, 40 days in the desert, beat the devil, he's gone. He won't bother him again. But, <laughs> Never again. But I don't think it works that way. Nope. Uh, not for us, but even for Jesus. Even for Jesus, he carries it forever in him, with him. Uh, because, it, you know, it will. I mean, so in the desert, especially the one about wielding power, you know, he's just now coming into it. He's not reached the pinnacle quite yet of what he knows, you know. Or not reached he... the pinnacle, no. <laughs> and that's funny because that's one of the temptations, right? Exactly. I thought, what, I thought that's what you were referring to. That was good. A uh, good catch. I was yeah, unintentionally profound and punny. There you go. Usually those two don't go together. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, let's see. So, so, yeah, so the transfiguration is, is both transfiguration and, and you know, beginning Lent is this really pivotal moment. And I hadn't really thought about why we jump back into the 40 days. Okay. So here's why some, we break up the chronology. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. So here's my th- one of my thoughts. Um, the 40 days in the desert with Jesus. So those themes that I just mentioned, those are good. And I think those connect well. But also, so Jesus, right? Let's look at all the elements in the story of the transfiguration. Okay. Let's, let's kind of list them out. So you got a, a, a high mountain. Three people taken up with Jesus, the leader. There's a cloud that covers the mountain. There's glory on the mountain and somebody's appearance is changed or transfigured. Glory settles on the mountain. It all happens after six days. And God speaks. So where else is this going on? Where's another story that resonates with this? Well, I, I have, a, have a clue. Okay, what's your clue? Or, or, or I, have a, I, have a, I have a hunch, but you know, maybe we should uh, be quiet for a moment. Let some of our listeners respond. Oh, okay, let's hear. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's see if they come but, up with anything. But yeah, so that's Moses going up on the mountain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And, but that's also there, thus the beginning, really, in a sense. I mean, the Exodus, of course, is the beginning, but, you know, um, their distinct identity being revealed of who they are, their mission, their purpose being right. revealed right. there. So it connects well with Jesus's trip to the 40 days of 40 days in the desert, because that's obviously hearkening to, you know, the people's that's right 40 40 years years that's right um but this so this story has those same overtones so it connects well with that idea of jesus fasting in the desert you know being set apart in a sense taking up his mosaic uh role in for his ministry basically one of the things about being on the mountain with those two guys, Moses and Elijah, though, mm-hmm. so is is this a continuation of the prophetic tradition that Moses, in many ways, was not just a That's right. giver of the law at the beginning of the whole you know, sacrificial right. system, which could get all in, in the temple and you know, 
priests and all that kind of stuff. So is he a law guy? Or is he the first or is he one of the first he's the first prophet? Ooh, good. Or and, the answer is yes. What and and Moses also was the first king of some sort you know, to some yeah, degree. Judge. That's true. Right. I mean, he mm-hmm. held together you know all the authority there to hold Israel together. That's right. It's good stuff. Elijah right though is clearly in the prophetic tradition. Yep. And so so if you have all the traditions, which could be you know both you know kind of the civil authority of the king the, the priestly authority of law, as well as a you know the prophets saying, "Listen to this guy," or this, "This this you know Jesus is the guy." That's right. Or even they themselves are Moses and Elijah, <clears throat> and their right. traditions being told, "Listen to him," you know, "Listen to Jesus." Yep. Solid. Okay. One other thing. Here's a, an idea that I've heard, um, and this is a more of an Eastern Orthodox take, and I like it. I like it a lot, okay? It stands, I think, in stark contrast to the Western tradition of Lent, Transfiguration, Ash Wednesday, and Lent, okay? So the Western tradition tends to be focused, and and I don't want to set these up as polar opposites of each other because one of my great beliefs is that the two traditions are, should be melded in a sense, but when it comes to some of these ideas, because it seems like rather than oppose each other, they could merge nicely. However, in the Western tradition, the the focus, especially of Lent, tends to be on salvation, 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 you know, and that makes sense. I mean, that's the big theme in, in Western, but in the Eastern Orthodox focus, Lent is about not so much Uh, salvation, but it's about um, kind of the idea of understanding that you are a reflection of the divine. In fact, they would say you are learning to become part of the divine, right? That's a big theme in the Eastern tradition, right? Uh, And so for Lent, it's more about not understanding how unworthy you are, but almost the opposite of like how God has made you worthy, you know? So, so with that in mind, when I look at Transfiguration Sunday and leading into Lent, um, some of the Eastern Orthodox, and I, I think we'll have a link to an art piece of this, but they really, when they create an icon of the Transfiguration, you'll notice that it's three divine figures looking into the face of three human faces or figures. And so they go, uh, the tradition with that being, transfiguration was all about the divine gazing at the humanity, gazing at the divine, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it's like but this um, it's like mutual gaze. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a perichoresis of... It's an ophthalmological perichoresis. How's that sound? Oof, wow. I think I've, I'm itching because I'm allergic to big words. Yeah, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so in the Eastern tradition, they really focus on that. The idea being that, um, so the idea for Lent is um, they would tell the story as a sense of retreat, which it is there, right? Retreat to the mountain. Right. And then you got your divinity represented by Jesus and and the three, Moses and Elijah, uh, but the humanity being 
um, uh, represented by Peter, James, and John. And so you have these three looking back at each other. So as it's told in the Eastern uh, tradition as Lent's about to begin, it's basically to remind people about, well, really the call of love, right? A divine love that basically oh, yeah. is calling us to love uh, even ourselves, like our very best possible selves, right? The same self that the divine is looking into. That's right. Pooh! Okay. Deep stuff right so, there, man. So, so thinking about that, mm-hmm. this, why... You know, I, I remember you know, reading this you know, transfiguration story and hearing it growing up and all that, but it wasn't probably until college either I listened, actually, to a preacher, or yeah. <laughs> I don't know what okay. happened, but, but I began hearing this thing, oh, Peter, what yes. a bonehead. For yes. Build, you know, structures for them. That's right. I'm like, why is, I, I don't completely understand why Peter is set up as the foil right for wanting to do that right yeah and then when you read the text closely like so i same thing i've even preached it that way like oh bumbling peter what a silly guy thinking let's build a build these memorials to god and just stay here forever and right and and i've even preached it as you know jesus rebuking or whatever him but if you read it closely it's actually not really a rebuke no i didn't think so Right. It actually makes sense, though, that Peter does this, especially because when you think about Peter probably knows the text better than we do, the Old Testament text. Right. <laughs> and so when he's doing this, he, when he's building these tabernacles, these booths, it's like, a, really, it's a genius response, right? Because um, he would connect it immediately to the uh, story that... Um, uh, back to Mount Sinai, right? What do they do when they're done on Mount Sinai? They build a tabernacle. They get the instructions to build a tabernacle. Yeah. So that's what Peter wants to do. Yeah. So, so I think Peter needs to be treated with a little bit more kindly. Yeah. Because the idea really like, because the tabernacle uh, is not permanent. It's movable. And it's a representation of God's presence, right? Yeah, and, and I don't think Peter was saying, let's dig deep, build a firm foundation, right. a monument here that never goes away. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think he's recognizing the Shekinah presence. And of course you'd build a tabernacle because God is essentially, it's like God has not left us. God's presence right. is still here and yeah. it's becoming stronger in the work of Jesus. So why wouldn't I build? So, uh, so to unpack that a little bit, it is like, hey, Peter, you're not a bonehead. That's right. That's awesome motivation. That's right. And, and you're, really, you're really keyed in yep. to some of the best of the tradition. However, that's right. It, that's right. <laughs> the, the glory, the Shekinah is all around us. That's it's right. It's not going to be uh, limited into that structure that's right so, so high five to peter and yeah, let's unpack it more buddy let's unpack it more that's really what's happening there it's not yeah. like a rebuke a, you're an idiot peter it's like yes you got it peter absolutely and yeah. let's take it deeper yep yeah. yep 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 and then i think it's always good on that transfiguration text to go down the mountain that's right going down the mountain heading yes. into the journey but, but before you even get to the journey, I mean, That's right, right at the foot of the mountain, it's, oh. it's life hits them full, you know, at full speed all over again. It does. The, uh, pr- the crowd. The father with the stomach yeah. is tormented. 
Yep. Yeah, it's just all kinds of stuff. Just hits it again. Yeah, um, and can you... Like, like, okay, real life. That's right. And can you imagine the disciples, you know, coming off the mountain like, oh, crap, we got to go back into this. I mean, I don't know that they would be doing that. I don't know. what I can't remember. What does the text? It kind of does present them a little bit as like, uh, uh, what do we do? <laughs> you know, um, boy, that's, well, that comes up actually in Luke 10. Yep. Is it, no, Luke 10? Yeah, Luke 10. Uh, I think it's in verses 13 and after, somewhere in there, there's, hey, we saw this guy who wasn't with us doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not quite yet, you know, they're thinking they're not, he's not on our team. Yep. And I think that's there. So, yeah, even coming down off the mountain, they're not yep. figuring things out. Yep. Yep, that's right. That's right. Oh, I, I know why I thought that. It's because, okay, the idea, so after he comes down off the mountain, the next day he sees the man and the teacher, he's like begging him, please help my son. I asked your disciples to do something and they couldn't do it. That's what it was. So the disciples who were left behind, I suppose, right? So it'd be the other nine or maybe even, I suppose, some of the 72 or 100 or whatever who are left uh, behind, they couldn't do it, Right. But anyway, so <clears throat> he asks, yeah, so he goes right back. You're right. He, he, he goes right back into the, uh, the deep mire of life, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, that happens, right? And when you, you wish you could stay forever in a mountaintop place, but whew, you're, it's uh, the purpose of the mountaintop. The purpose of the mountaintop is not to stay away from life, but to drive you fully into the rest of life, right? Right. <laughs> I, carried that, I carried that conversation, man. And I just affirmed you with whatever you said. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right, so, um, yeah, and that, so I think, there you go. Talk about that connects well to Ash Wednesday and Lent, and I think that's why it's there in the calendar. There's just... So- even though it's a mix-up of chronology, so to speak, in Jesus' right. life, it connects well to the themes that head into and, Lent. And I think it works well to tell the story as flashbacks because yes. then you don't get stuck into abstract themes. You're actually telling a story that you know, connects to earlier parts of the story. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I just Good. think that makes it, makes it easier to, to, to make it think of, make, help people to think of this as a continuous uh, narrative. Yes. All right, let's talk a little Ash Wednesday and then share some resources real quick. So, um, Ash Wednesday, you know, that's just a weird thing because I didn't grow up with it. Me neither. And, uh, you know, but it, I love it. Where, I, where I grew up, it was only the, the Catholics who would, yeah. who would do it. That's right. And, and you could, and they had like morning mass or something like that. So that's I remember. Right. Just, you know, school children. You know, I was in elementary school, and I see these kids come to school with a sponge on their forehead. Oh, yeah. And it's like, what's up? And it's like, it's Ash Wednesday. Like, don't you know? <laughs> it's like, never heard of it. Oh, man. Yeah. And so so it, was, it was alien to me. And, and growing up Presbyterian, didn't do it. When I became a Baptist, we didn't do it. Yep. When I became a Mennonite, we didn't do it. Until, as a Mennonite, we started doing it. <laughs> You're like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Did the whole so, Mennonite tradition decide that or? 
You know, it's it's slowly. Uh, Mennonites have, uh, you know, I may offend some of my brothers and sisters here, but we kind of have had this attitude that, uh, well, if the mainline denominations are doing it, we should do it too. Yep. <laughs> um, Let's jump on and, board. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, that's, yeah, it could be cool. I mean, they started using the lectionary and the church yeah. seasons and all that. Right. But, you know, just just because everybody else is doing it really doesn't feed into the whole nonconformist mm -hmm. uh, theology of the man of baptism. So, yeah. anyway... <laughs> So yeah. that's one of the good. That's one of the good things we copied. Oh, that's cool. I like it. But, but one of the ways we early on uh, began copying was well, everybody's just a bit too um, bound by their personal space, so you can't touch my head. Ooh. And so we had, you know, some people would would uh, you know, you know, hold somebody's hand and put a cross on the back of the hand. Mm. Okay. You know, do something that's just a little less personal. Huh. Uh, well, so, that, ra that raises a good question. Yeah. Why? I wonder, what's the, uh, what's the history behind that? Like, why is it ashes on the forehead? And why is that the tradition? You know, I, I do not know, but I have a hunch. Okay, let's hear your hunch. Um, well, have you ever seen any one of those stupid movies? They're usually like college age movies where it's like drunken parties yes, and really sure. inappropriate behavior. Like old school and the guy passes out and while he's unconscious people draw inappropriate things on his forehead sure 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 and then he gets up and goes to class like next morning and it's like hey you got a on your head yeah he doesn't see it okay and he's not really reflecting on it but without his intention it's a message that's going out to others that says oh. where he's been what he's done okay almost like a tattoo or a traveling billboard okay okay and and I kind so, of think that's why it's on the forehead, that it's meant to be obvious and seen and meant as a kind of that a makes sense. And why uh, that would uh, also contribute to the choice, uh, the uh, traditional choice of having it in the morning so that it's, then it's, it's seen all day, day right? Yeah, okay, so yeah. why is that? All right, okay, okay. So if that's so, you know, the scripture talks about how don't practice that kind of stuff before man, start to receive which, applause which, and acclaim. Which kind of stuff? <laughs> you know, any type of mourning type stuff or fasting or, and if you have ashes on your forehead, doesn't that proclaim, hey, so I'm going to be fasting? I'd, I'd, I'd have to review the text because that's, I mean, that's, that's Sermon on the Mount stuff. Right. And I, I think it's, I think the, the injunction is not to make a show of your piety. In front right. Of so how do you not make a show of piety, but, you know, make it a, a show? But how do you announce your allegiance to another kingdom? Sure. I mean, uh, in, in some ways, it's like uh, standing up at a at the beginning of a basketball game when everybody's singing the national anthem, and you just stand up and don't. Right. You, know, yep. you don't put your hand over your heart. It's still a it's still a public statement. Right. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I don't know. Yeah. No, no. I, I think like it's, maybe it's intention. You know what you're trying to do. Yeah, and and that's now, I think a big part of it too, right? Now, if I put a cross in somebody's head and then carefully got some, oh maybe some, I don't know if they make gold mascara, but get a little mascara pen and then so, make a gold etching around it, you know. But it seemed like I'll have to find this, but it seemed like last year, um, especially on social media, people were going crazy with their ashes and like making it really showy. And I can't remember how they did it. There might have been oh, glitter. Yeah. I think there was glitter involved. 
lot. But yeah, see, that, that might be like making a show of your piety before others. I don't know. <laughs> it kind of goes against the whole thing about mortality and humility. Yeah. Okay. That leads to the next question. Why ashes? Well, it, it depends where you get the ashes now. Here, I'm new to this still, so I don't know whose story is true. Okay. But, but the ashes uh, come from one of two sources. Okay. It either comes from burning the palms from the That's previous right. year's Palm Sunday. That's what we do. Which is, here's all this glory, you know, here's the king. And it's almost like mourning that these palms are now... It, it didn't come to pass as we had anticipated. That's right. And, and so they're, they're burned and the ashes carry this, almost this uh, sense of grief. Yeah. Of what did not take place. That's right. And, and the other tradition that I've heard is that they're taken from the greenery that's used in Advent. Huh. Which has a similar kind of sense to it. You know, here's this, you know, glory's coming, wonderful things are going to happen. Yeah. But we know that we're moving into a period of, of reflection on, on, the mortality that comes out of sacrificial blood. Mm, that's good. Yep. That's right. So I'm not as familiar with the greenery from Advent, but uh, I could see that. But they both kind of fit the same idea yeah. of these, these significant passages of you know, the church season being brought right. into that moment. Good. Okay. So why is it called an imposition of ashes? Uh, you know, because it's imposed, right? <laughs> I mean, so we, we normally, in the Mennonite tradition, you know, of course, we're all into nonviolence and non-coercion. So, but on this, on this service, you we actually have, have the these. elders come up and strong-arm people from each arm and hold them in place. What? Pin them to the ground, and we get the ashes, and we have No, you don't. No, you don't. No, no, we don't do that at all. <laughs> Not at all. You joker. But yeah, I, I don't know why that phrase is used. Imposition of ashes. Yeah, imposing imposition of ashes. But huh. all, you know, it, it has this sense of interference. You know, if somebody imposes upon you, it's, you feel like you're accosted. Yeah, a little bit. So I guess um, in one sense, that makes uh, total sense because, you know, this is an interruption of your, your routine, you know. And, and it's an interruption talking about death. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so hmm. maybe it's meant to be a little bit uh, arresting. Or a little, you know. Yep. You will rest. <laughs> you yeah. will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you will think about death. Yeah. Huh. There was, there was a, a, a family in my first congregation back in Kansas who uh, there was a, a – now Mennonite history in, in the Great Plains usually involves people who can talk about – uh, or remember through generations a period of being in the uh, Russian uh, pogroms. Oh, yeah, sure. Stories of uh, Fiddle on the Roof, you know, being, yep. being banished from the villages. Yep. And so through the 1870s and 1880s, you know, people were coming out of uh, southern Russia and coming to the U.S. and then settling from uh, Oklahoma up through Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, they had these stories of, of you know, significant persecution and death was in their experience. And there was this one woman who told her grandchildren, uh, we, we must not laugh. We must think about death. <laughs> and, and, you know, like family gatherings, birthdays, celebrations, and people start laughing and she'd start laughing and then she would stop herself and go you know, kind of straight faced, stone cold, like, 
uh, we should not laugh. Should oh boy. And it became a, a kind of a project for the grandchildren to figure out, can we make grandma laugh? <laughs> oh, wow. But, but, you know, there is that, I think there's that sense of heaviness, you know, if you think about significant times of persecution and suffering hmm. that people carry, uh, those are imposing. And maybe that's, maybe that's also another thing that, that we can remember. Wow. That's good. It might connect us to contemporary uh, issues of suffering. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I did last year that I really like, and I think I'll do it again this year. Uh, last year for, for Ash Wednesday, I was terribly sick. Uh, I, I couldn't even stand up. I was, <laughs> I did the service on a stool oh, and, and I can tell my fever was just you know, going through the roof. And, uh, and I didn't want to touch anybody ashes right well I, I explained to the congregation i said uh i'm not feeling well so i'm going to hold this bowl out for you and i want you to come up in pairs and uh, impose ashes onto one another Aww. and actually that was so much better than if i had done it ah, that's good uh, and so people you know we're, we're doing this ritual to one another and for the most part they would say something like you know ashes we you know ashes we will go or they would say something uh you know may you follow the lord you know jesus with all your heart with all your soul all your love lord with all your heart with all your soul and you know give each other these blessings and it was it was beautiful oh that would be good good decision so i'm planning on doing uh half of that this next okay year. Yeah, yeah. I'm planning on being healthy. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's the half I'm going to skip. Okay, but you're still going to allow them to do the imposition. Yeah, Is that allowed, Craig? Well, in our tradition, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. I think it is in other traditions too. It's 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 a I think it's a neat uh, way to uh, demonstrate you know, yep. in a, a very yeah. visceral way what we mean by the priesthood of all the neighbors. Yes, I love it. Yes, we can individualize that and say, well, yeah, I have access to Jesus. I don't need the priest. That's why I'm the priest. Or we can say, I can also make the way to Jesus for my brother and sister. I love it. That's right. And that connects with what I was, we were kind of talking about the Eastern idea of, you know, yeah. it's not a, 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 a sense of, well, I'm so high and mighty, but it's understanding that in our humanity, we connect to divinity and yeah. there is humility there, even as we focus on that God believes that we can shine with the radiance of God. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Ugh, it's good stuff. But only in our humility, because that's what it's all about. That's, what it, that's actually what it means to be divine, you know? Well, yeah, humility isn't uh, beating the chest and thinking lowly of ourselves. All right. That's right. It's uh, back to the ashes, dust to dust, ashes, ashes That's to right. ashes, dust to dust. It's, it's, it's humus. It's, it's earth. It's, That's right. It's the, the, the stuff that humans are made of. That's good. So, and... Um, I think that's a good place to wrap up on talking about Ash Wednesday because a lot of times Ash Wednesday, at least as I originally was going into it, I was thinking, because I was like you, I wasn't raised with it. So I was bringing with me my mindset, which is all about sin and sin management. So Ash Wednesday was all about sin and, oh, you know, so 
sorry and repentant for my sins, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that, you know, in a sense. But it's more about focusing on and accepting the yeah hummus, the the mortality, the earth, the earth and the dirt and the humility. So. Yeah, yeah, and and I think yeah, I hadn't really thought about it, but with the the icon imagery that you're describing, and also people putting ashes on one another, it's it's looking at each other. Yeah, oh, the gaze, I like it. Oh, it's good. It's good. All right. So we got some resources yeah. for Transfiguration Sunday and Ash Wednesday. Let's talk about those. And and we're leaving because we've now led you right up to the beginning of Lent here in this in our yep. podcast. So we'll pick up with Lent starting next week. But uh, let's let's do a couple resources people can dive into that should put them so into the Transfiguration some, and books. Ash Wednesday mindset. Yeah, we've but got some, uh, art. We've got some movies, some art images. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, some music. So there's a lot of stuff there. Good stuff. Good stuff. One of them. Uh, okay. I want to start with an article and this is one I added late to the game. So I don't know if Craig can talk too much about it, but so well, I, I can talk about things that I don't even know anything about. I love it. I love it. That's why we have this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I found, um, I guess it was yesterday. Uh, and we've talked favorably about her on this show in the past, but it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a new a freshman senator from New York, who is a whirlwind, who is uh, <laughs> who is setting fire, man, to uh, to the political establishment. Now, I brought her on, up on both, I, on both yeah, sides of the right, aisle. On too. both sides, it's, she's singeing the toes of people on both sides of the aisles. And 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 what I like about this, here's why I include this. Okay, so um, if 2016 was all about these people who are like, we don't want the establishment. We want somebody who's not, you know. And so what they, what they ended up with was Donald Trump, <laughs> which to me, I said this all the time going in when people would say, well, he's not like a politician. And I'd say, well, just, that's fine if that's what you want. But let me tell you something. Um, his whole career is based on being the flip side of the coin of what you're talking about, the corruption and the, and the, uh, so he's been the, you know, he wasn't on the politics side, sure, but he was the flip side of that same coin, you know, the corruption and graft and all that stuff. So for me, he was not a breath of fresh air into the establishment. He was just more of the same, just on this different side of the coin. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is literally the, an outsider, um, uh, and, and so I do, Craig, you mentioned, you know, you wonder how she can keep up, you know, earlier this, we didn't record this, but you said, how can she keep this up? I do worry about, you know, cause I'm sure it happens to everybody, uh, that gets sucked into the machine a little bit because now she is part of the machine, right? In one sense, cause she was elected to the, to the, uh, to the system. Um, but right now, anyway, she is coming in as an outsider and setting fire. And so, and I just hope she can maintain it at that safe, healthy distance, uh, from it. But I bring her up because yeah, for me, she's like a breath of fresh air, man, like an epiphany. So we're closing epiphany and, uh, she specifically the video I want to highlight. She takes a five minute look and lays out how corruption in politics and in Washington works. And uh, I do have a little clip I could play, but it's like um, she's broken down this complex 
thing into a five minute chunk that we, you know, that anyone listening can kind of understand what's happening. And it's like an unveiling a little bit. Like, so we've all realized everything she says, you're like, okay, yeah, I did realize that happens. But when you put it all together, it's like an unveiling of, oh my gosh, how messed up this is right now. (laughs) (laughs) So it may not be the healthiest of epiphanies, but in a sense, you know, what's Lent about, right? We're uncovering Ash Wednesday. We're uncovering um, the bare bones and, ex- and well, if you want to, yeah, so it, it may, it may actually be healthy because that's right. I mean, exactly. It's healthy, right? That's right. Exactly. Like Shine that light. It, uh, cleans, cleans out some parasites. Here's a clip. I'm going to play, Let's see if it'll play here. And it's already super legal as we've seen for me to be a pretty bad guy. So it's even easier for the president of the United States to be one, I would assume. That's right. Thank you very much. Okay, so she's showing how effed Let's up. Let's play a was. lightning round game. I'm going to be the bad guy, which I'm sure half the room would agree with anyway. And, um, and I want to get away with as much bad things as possible, ideally to enrich myself and advance my interest, even if that means putting, uh, putting my interests ahead of the American people. I have enlisted all of you as my co-conspirators. So you're gonna help me legally get away with all of this. So, Mrs. Hobart Flynn, I want to run. If I wanna run a campaign that is entirely funded by corporate political action committees, is, that, is there anything that legally prevents me from doing that? No. Okay, so there's nothing stopping me from being entirely funded by corporate PACs, say, from the fossil fuel industry, the healthcare industry, big pharma. I'm entirely 100% lobbyist PAC uh, funded. Okay, so let's say I'm a really, really bad guy. And let's say I have some skeletons in my closet that I need to cover up so that I can get elected. Um, Mr. Smith, is it true that you wrote this article, this opinion piece for the Washington Post entitled, These Payments to Women Were Unseemly, That Doesn't Mean They Were Illegal? Well, I can't see the piece, but I wrote a piece under that headline in the Post, so I assume that's right. Okay, great. So, green light for hush money. I can do all sorts of terrible things. It's totally legal right now for me to pay people off. And that is considered speech. That money is considered speech. So I use my special interest dark money funded campaign to pay off folks that I need to pay off and get elected. So now I'm elected, now I'm in. I've got the power to draft, lobby, and shape the laws that govern the United States of America. Fabulous. Now, is there any hard limit that I have? Perhaps, uh, Mrs. Hobart Flynn, is there any hard limit that I have in terms of what legislation I'm allowed to touch? Are there any limits on the laws that I can write or influence, especially if I'm based on the uh, special interest funds that I accepted to finance my campaign and get me elected in the first place? There's no limit. So there's none. So I can be totally funded by oil and gas. I can be totally funded by big pharma. Come in, write big pharma laws, and there's no limits to that whatsoever. That's right. Okay. So, awesome. Now, uh, now, Mr. Marabani, the last thing I want to do is get rich with as little work possible. That's really what I'm trying to do as the bad guy, right? So is there anything preventing me from holding stocks, say, in an oil or gas company, and then writing laws to deregulate that, that industry and cause, you know, that could potentially cause the stock value to soar and accrue a lot of money in that time? You could do that. 
So I could do that. I could do that now with the way our current laws are, are set up. Yes? Yes. Okay, great. Is it possible that any elements of this story apply to our current government and our current public servants right now? Yes. Yes. So we have a system that is fundamentally broken. We have these influence. Okay, so that, <laughs> yeah, you just lays it out nice and simple. And they're like, yeah, that, and that is, that's how it is right now, yes. That's funny. She lays it out as just this theoretical construct, just a hypothetical. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, she's good, man. And so here's the cool thing is afterwards, because she does have, you know, I mean, she's young and um, inex basically inexperienced. So she does have a team of people who are her, you know, consult with her and all that kind of stuff. And they interviewed some of her, though, that team afterwards and were like, okay, so what, you know, what did you feed to her for that? What was that? Did you practice that? And they, all of them said, no, she did that on the spot. Like she, she requested five minute times. We didn't know why or what she was doing. Cause we weren't, pre you know, we didn't prepare her for anything. And uh, she just went into it to laid out the story you know, let's pretend I'm the bad guy and, uh, no, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so lest, lest we be accused of being uh, politically partisan. <laughs> yes. Though I, I know I am. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the other voices that I think would be fantastic for her to connect with, even though it's uh, in a different house. Yeah. But I don't know if you've ever followed uh, some of the stuff that Ben Sass does. Yes. Yeah. The yep. Senator from Nebraska. Yes. Um, I mean, They'd be a good team. Yeah, and he has the same potential, or he's yep. been working kind of that same way to influence his party to kind of break outside of the, we're only here to raise money for our next election. That's right. We're only here to satisfy lobbyists. And uh, it, it, he's, been, he's been surprisingly, even though yeah. he comes out of a much more libertarian sure. yep. uh, and kind of but what was that? The Tea Party can be elected, yeah. but they kind of died away. But, a little you know, bit. I, I think he has a voice that's really uh, valuable. Yep. And so if that's, yeah, it, it, I think the two um, together could represent a positive turn. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, so that's cool. That's yep. a fun clip. That was a good, yeah, and you should watch the, the whole thing, but uh, it's good. Um, you mentioned you have an article about TikTok. Talk to me about TikTok. Oh, I wish I could have reviewed the article because I, I remember reading it thinking uh, it was interesting, but it, the, 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 um, I was reading it earlier in the week. Yeah. So what, what, the, was the, the, what was the excerpt that quoted? Yeah, the there? brief synopsis uh, talks about how users today, they're basically culture wars flowing on Twitter, ban Nazis, protect free speech. YouTubers are gaming the algorithm with hateful, exploitive, dangerous and otherwise questionable content, right? So that uh, they can get more uh, uh, pop-ups and leads, you know? And right, Facebook right. as well, <laughs> contributing to war crimes and toppling of democracy. But That's here's right, yeah. TikTok presents an alternative version of online sharing. Right, and so part of it, the article was, it, it harkens back to, uh, oh rats, I forgot, you know, what was the, the Twitter, uh, uh, function where I do the six, you know, six second videos. Yeah, um, right, right, right. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, what was it called? I don't know. Oh, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, that thing. It had a name. <laughs> I don't remember now. And, 
anyway. And so, so much of that ended up having kind of a lighthearted yes. appeal. And it you know, was not you know, tricking the algorithm so you can overthrow democracy. Oh, was it Vine? Was it Vine? Vine, Vine, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and because it's not the, this huge platform like Facebook or some of these other things, in fact, it, it's its own standalone. I think the, the article was more written from an investment angle. Right, but it was saying you know people are missing out on this because it's it almost because it has I wouldn't say innocence to it, but it it doesn't have this uh, social engineering aspect. Of right, it. right. I like that. That's a good share, man. TikTok, and I knew a little bit about it. I think I've seen. I've even interacted with it a little bit. I think even my kids have done maybe something on it. Yeah. You know, because it, it it it's fairly safe. I mean, yeah, you stop to watch and right. But yeah, right. it's fairly safe and goofy, and and that's mainly what it is. It's it largely at this point until somebody corrupts it. <laughs> sure. Largely, it's, you know, it's just been it's been entertaining. Yeah, you know, oh, kind of vapid and shallow and empty. Yeah, but yeah. I think sometimes we need that. Actually. Oh boy, do we need that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Um, you also have one about depression a little bit. You want to touch on that a little bit? If yeah, you're that was angry a... or irritable. It may actually come from depression. I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way it is. <laughs> no, there, earlier this week, and it was kind of interesting. I it, I posted the article from uh, I think it was NPR that I heard yep. this on, and uh, yeah, they were talking about the coincidence of of anger with depression. Mm. And I know that when I have depressive feelings, and I my my level of irritability and anger, sometimes I just you know get mad for no good reason and uh it's i i really don't like it because whenever you lose your temper it's an incredibly humiliating experience which then can drive you into depression even more and isolation oh yeah uh, but they were talking about the studies of the coincidence of anger with depression and to me it seemed of course why didn't anybody study this before that's that's how i usually you know feel it and so I posted that on, on Facebook and it was very interesting to hear the, or to watch the, the conversation that emerged where some people said, no, I never get angry when I get depressed. I just become quiet, isolated and, and blah. Mm. And then others would say, no, I usually get quite angry. And so it was kind of, you know, definitely not a, a scientific, you know, polling of any kind, right. but people are of different, um, you have different experiences with their depressive onsets. But I thought it was great research because it really spoke to some of the ways that I feel when depression comes toward me. Ah, good, good catch. Good. And uh, yeah, definitely a, a, a relevant theme throughout the entirety of church calendar, but connects oh, all the way yeah. too. Yep. But I think it, I think it fits also to this season. I mean, we, we, I think if we're not careful with some of the stuff we talked about already with, you know, Ash Wednesday or, or Lent as this time of, of, you know, chest beating repentance with, you know, kind of that, almost that despairing tone. Right. It's easy to feed into some of those elements. Absolutely. Uh, but rather, rather could use those to speak to that and then, then move with it. So it might be a way to connect. I like it. Good. Good, good, good. Okay, uh, one book I wanted to share as a potential resource of particularly leading into Lent, and that is the book, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And here's yeah. why, here's why. So you, I, people are probably familiar with the story a little bit, at least if they've seen some movies and things like that. But what I want to kind of focus on a little bit, actually the original title 
of uh, the book didn't have Hunchback in it at all. It, it actually, the title made it sound like it was just about the cathedral, Notre Dame. Right. And in the story, uh, they, uh, as the story unfolds, like there is a restoration project, I think, going on in the building. And at the end, right. it actually ends up looking, because of the restoration project, the building ends up looking less beautiful and majestic than it did before for some reason. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so the idea, uh, how I connected that to Lent is this idea of, you know, their part of life is accepting that we are, right? Dust and we will return to dust and we can adorn and do all sorts of stuff, plastic surgery and right. all this work to, but you know what? There's some maj majesty in accepting um, the process. <laughs> you know, of yeah. uh, being more down and a aging well, aging well. That's right. Absolutely. Like, have you which ever, is, and I hate to, which is uh, easy for you as a, as like a, <laughs> like a Gen Xer to say, you know, when you get old and decrepit, like me, I know, I know <laughs> you're not old and decrepit, buddy. Well, okay. I'm, de I'm decrepit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there is right a little bit the freedom and even a beauty and and again i'd also you know i and mixed in with it yes grief and pain too but all together it kind of creates a beautiful structure you know what i mean it it i would have to agree okay <laughs> though i may not want to i, mean. I know i know i know um, okay, so that's why I included that one. I thought that just that kind of sub theme a little bit in the story was uh, is pretty nice. Okay, so so is there anything about his name, Quasimodo? <sighs> Boy, I'm not sure. I I I thought about that for a split second and then moved on. So I, I, don't I don't know. I don't know my Latin well enough <laughs> no, to know quasi, what Modo. Right, Quasi. Quasi Quasi is like yeah, kinda. So he's kind of a Modo, but I don't know what a Modo <laughs> is. What does Quasimodo mean? Yeah. Quasimodo is a fictional, okay, no, it's a, oh, wait, what does Quasimodo mean? Oh, wait, Lord, Moto, might mean Lord. M-O-D-O, not M-O-T-O. Right, but maybe it's yeah. similar roots, maybe. So he's Quasi-Lord, interesting. Quasi, huh, interesting. Well, there's something to, th something to think about. Oh, that's interesting. In fact, there is a, okay, it says this. Um, Quasimodo, Quasimodo is Low Sunday in the church calendar. Low Sunday. That's the Latin name for Low Sunday. And Low it, Sunday is? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, Italian, let's see. From the latent time for low before the to Quasimodo as just born children. Quasimodo, just born quasi moto well how do you like that low sunday low sunday which is low okay are you ready the first sunday after easter yeah oh interesting and that's its name quasimodo so, in latin so i pulled so i pulled over and i'm googling right now too okay. so <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting interesting uh, first sunday after easter so, so, you know, one of these things about any of these movies or any of these books is you better get watching and reading now so you have That's your right. head filled with metaphors before you sit down to think yeah. about, gee, how do we do church? How do we do mission in our community? How do we preach? Do That's Bible right. Study? So. And 
this is um, accessible stuff for everybody, really. So that's what we want to do. We want to try to make and, and it. And I'd recommend reading Victor Hugo uh, yeah. 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 or watching, I forgot which movie it was. It was the older one, black and white version. Yeah. A, l a little bit more melodramatic, but it carried the, 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 the grief and the drama more than the Walt Disney one. That's right. Because <laughs> so. that's true. Because, you know, Disney has to be upbeat, right? Well, and also they have the little cute talking animals. I forgot which one it is for that movie, but anyway. Yeah, that's right. I think it's a, uh, boy, is it a what bird? is it? I think a bird is one of them. Hmm. Okay. And the bird, come, the bird comes and, and stitches together a gown for him to wear to party? No, that's the wrong one. That's, I, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's whistles while he works or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. So, some other other stories. Uh, yes. you, you have some stuff for kids. Yep. I had a couple of books for kids. I'll point out one. Pete the Cat, Snow Days. Okay. So, we're still kind of in winter a little bit, so it still connects. But yep. in it, um, he really wants to get to, it's weird, he gets bored. So, he wants to go to school. <laughs> Mainly, I think, because he misses his friends is the idea. So, he starts plowing, not plowing, but he takes a shovel and starts digging out a way to get to school. And then everybody right. in the town around as he's doing it sees him and is motivated to do the same. So join the, they, they decide to join the journey with him, see, and start digging out the snow so that they can have a did, way, a path. Did you, did you hear the, uh, the story about the cat that was found and frozen in the snowbank? No. Uh -uh. Yeah, it was, it was something I saw. Uh, I forgot where I saw it. Some, what website it was, but a cat was found. It was frozen, you know, just, you know, snow just clumped and frozen into its fur. It appeared to have no vital signs. And so the, the uh, utility workers who were working out in the snowbank picked it up, you know, looked at it, warmed it up, and then it kind of, you know, moved, began to breathe. And, you know, they took it to a, a oh, veterinarian wow. and, and resuscitated the cat. Oh, that's crazy. So, so that is, that, that's directly connected to, <laughs> that might be Pete. That might be, it might have, it might have cat. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's, man. that's volume two when he's saved by the uh, city utility workers. Oh my word. Golly. Okay. Another one, uh, a couple movies that we, that connect well to Lent and Transfiguration. I, I shared Hoosiers and specifically I was thinking of the journey of the, the, the father in there. There's a, I don't want to give too much away in case anybody would watch it, but there's a, a guy who's was once a, a, a star uh, and then drank away any kind of legacy or whatever. But there's redemption for him. There's um, an accept, but he has to, he somewhat, you know, he accepts who he is first. The town eventually accepts him too. But uh, anyway, good, 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 good. And then the way which I haven't seen, Craig, have you? Oh, really? Yep. I no, I, so I, I really I, want to, and I've read the description. Yeah. Oh, oh do it. I, know uh, it connects I, read, well. I read it a few years ago, mm -hmm. and it was, you know, a story of, uh, of a father mm -hmm. actually trying to connect with his son who had died. Yes, that's right. And it's, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, you know, for a movie that sounds like, a, Hey, that's a real depressing, uh, right. storyline. Mm -hmm. Um, dead son, grieving father, guilty father. Oh, who'd want to watch that? The story is dealt with a lot of light 
a lot of lightness, a lot of yeah. joy along the way. Yeah. And so this, this kind of uh, healing journey is, is, is a, is a beautiful one. It's, it, I mean, it has the grief and the sadness, but that becomes just a backdrop. That's right. Um, it's not the main thing. Great story. Yep. Yep. And so what I've read about it and I know I want to watch it, but I knew it would connect well with this, with uh, Lint. So, um, and then you shared To Kill a Mockingbird and Forrest Gump. Interesting choices. Why'd you pick those? So what I was thinking about was how many stories do we tell where the hero is actually kind of a humble character? Yep. Yep. But, but the humility isn't, um, you know, just, oh, I'll hang out in the shadows and I won't assert myself. But uh, uh, in the Anabaptist tradition, we have a word uh, called galassenheit, uh, which is translated as yieldedness. And this yieldedness usually comes across as, you know, we're yielding to God's spirit, but by yielding to God's spirit, we can go out and do these amazingly uh, meaningful and sometimes powerful things. Mm, I love it. And so, and so it turns humility or this yieldedness into this, um, this kind of truth that inspires to do big things. And so, you know, Atticus Fitch, small town lawyer, you know, probably could, you know, succeed as a lawyer in any place, charge anything and wanted to be quite, you know, wealthy and successful, uh, stays in this small town and chooses to come to the defense of, um, of, uh, Boo Radley, and in the meantime, you know, tells the story of Tom Robinson and, oh, Scout follows her father. You know, yeah. she's, she's bold, but she's at the same time has this heart of, you know, has this heart of compassion. Um, so there's, so those are kind of interesting lines about what humility might look like. And I think Forrest Gump is the same guy, you know, same kind of character, even though he has an IQ of 75. <laughs> you know, his, his, his story is out of, you know, following this kind of, you know, we, you know, if you, we, we wanted to make it, you know, a parable or, or a metaphor, he is by, you know, by following this, this gracious spirit, you know, he does remarkable things and touches people's lives deeply yep. because he's humble. That's right. And, and uh, you know, so humility is not kind of this, you know, milk toast, uh, afraid of, you know, one shadow kind of a thing. You know, humility can be this very bold and very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it can change people's lives, change others' lives. So I thought those would be two interesting ones to look at. Very good. I like it. Very good. Okay. Craig, you get to pick. What do we close with? We can close wow. with Suf Sufjan Stevens' The Transfiguration or Hazy Shade of Winter. Let, we'll, we'll close with a Hazy Shade of Winter because we're still, I'm, I'm surrounded right now by Hazy Shades. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, do it. So this is Hazy Shade of Winter by Gerard Way featuring Ray Toro. Any setup for that? Well, the only setup I, I was thinking is I, I heard this on a promo for a new Netflix series that's coming out. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of a 1980s version of the same song that was done by a, I think one of these kind of pseudo punk Christian bands or performers. <laughs> But the, I remember I liked this one guy because he also quoted a lot of philosophers. I thought, okay, this guy's at least smart. Cool. And so I heard this and I went, oh, I recognize it. That's so-and-so. And then it's like, oh, no, it's not. It's a new version. Nice. Okay. So it was, it was a walk down nostalgia. There you go. So. Hazy Shade of Winter, Gerard Way, Ray Toro. It's got a long, quiet intro. Okay. Introspective. 
thoughtful. Easy, in fact. <laughs> How do you like it? <laughs> I like it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Craig. I don't know. Just keep listening to it. Craig, it'll be interesting. There we go. You. Did you it hear just it? came back on? Just came back on. Yeah, that was weird. Oh, but you didn't hear it at all. I, I heard just the very end, but that's good okay. enough. Okay. All right, Craig. Good good episode. Where we we have next time I won't be in the car, I hope. Okay. All right, bud. <laughs> all right, take care. Just some stratospheric strain.